The last habit that I want to share with you is a, another habit of community. This is a weekly habit of prioritizing one hour a week of conversation with friends. It's so hard to pick. I, I would love for you, to, you all to look at the book. I talk about the habits of Sabbath, habits of fasting, habits of prayer, habits of media curation. But I, I, I felt I could not leave without talking about friendship for a minute because friendship will make or break a parent's life. You all know we're living in a time in America where for the third year in a row, the li average lifespan of Americans has dropped for three years in a row. That hasn't happened since the 1960s, and then there was an influenza outbreak. What it is now, all preventable causes of death, suicide rates increasing, drug and alcohol abuse-related deaths increasing. Incredible arguments are being made that the underlying epidemic giving rise to these spikes is a culture and an epidemic of loneliness. I read a study, I was amazed, a peer-reviewed metadata study that showed that in, uh, chronic loneliness is as dangerous to your body as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Do you believe that? So I mean it, friendship will make or break your life actually, but it will also make or break your spiritual life and your parenting life. Why? Because in vulnerable conversations of friendship, the gospel is borne out to us in a tangible, relational way. What is the gospel besides you are messed up, but God was, loves you and is sticking around anyway? And what is a friend besides someone who knows you so well to realize you are messed up, but they stick around anyway? We, we cannot rise to this task of parenting alone. We will suffer for it, and our children will suffer for it. We need communities, and do you know what the building blocks of communities are? Friendships. You know what the building blocks of friendships are? Shared, meaningful, vulnerable conversation. That's why making a habit of prioritizing conversation with friends as a weekly matter, that's, it stewards us away from the cultural default which is, we all become busy parents who used to have friends. But in these habits, y'all are like, uh-oh, <laughs> feel implicated? <laughs> I do too, and that's why we need it. Because in, in this rhythm, we're actually stewarded into real vulnerable relationships where we tell our secrets. So the way I do this with my friend Steve is we have a standing coffee every Thursday morning. We get together, talk about career, family, whether we'll be at the t-ball fields that Saturday, and more importantly, we tell our secrets. You know this amazing thing? I don't have any secrets. There's things you guys don't know, <laughs> things a lot of people don't know. There's nothing that Steve doesn't know. And that is one of the, the embodiments of the gospel that saves me. Secrets will eat you alive. They will eat your marriage alive. They will eat your church communities alive. And they will eat your families alive. In habits of vulnerable conversation where we come together with friends, we see the gospel borne out. We are known fully and loved anyway. How great was that? It was a clip from the Parent Summit just a few weeks ago uh, from Justin Early, one of the speakers, who was able to come in and talk about uh, his topic was habits uh, for the glorious vocation for, for the role of, of parenting. Um, it was a blessing to hear from him. He just put out a book called The Common Rule uh, that includes a lot of that. I'd commend that uh, to you. Uh, it was super good. I was over about here in the chapel sitting, uh, hunched forward, taking notes, nodding the whole time with everything he said. But, but that part about community that he was sharing, relationships, friendships, in the context of parenting, we can broaden it this morning into any context, was so good. During the Parent Summit, we post poll quotes of the speakers on social media to kind of share 
what's going on. And we shared this quote during his, his talk. We put something on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter that said, we cannot parent alone. We need a community that's based on friendships. Shared, meaningful, and vulnerable conversation is the building block of friendships. And to my, to my amazement, this kind of blew me away, a couple days later, someone replied to that quote on Facebook saying that she totally disagreed. She said something to the effect of, God gave us everything necessary to parent our kids within our own families, and thinking that we need to rely on friendships or community is distrusting God. That was the gist of what she said. Blew me away. It took me back. And I hope this morning that there's no one here who believes that, 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 that feeling like we desperately need community and friendships and healthy relationships around us is distrusting God because it's the furthest thing from the truth. God created, he designed us to go through life with other people. God has given us community and relationships to fill what is in our own lives a holy need for community. And so Genesis 2, I think, is just one of these fantastic uh, chapters in the Bible. Genesis 2 sketches out how God designed the world to fit together. So it's really helpful to go here when we want to know how we're to live life. And it's one of the most important chapters in the Bible because it shows how we need community. Uh, God creates Eden in Genesis 2, this, this perfect place. And then he places Adam, who's a perfect person, in the Garden of Eden. And then God provides for every single want and need physically that Adam might have. He gives him food. He gives him purpose. He has relationship with God. Adam's walking with God in the garden in the cool of the morning. And yet still God looks at Adam in that context and he says, there's something missing. There's something that's not good about this perfect man in this perfect place. He still needs something. It's not good for Adam to be alone. Why? It's because Adam, like you, like me, Adam was created in God's image. Each of us has the indelible mark of the identity of our creator imprinted on our souls. And at the very core of who God is is relationship. This is the Trinity, our triune God, this miraculous miracle of a divine identity that says that God exists as three persons in one. God is eternally, from before creation to long after the new earth is created, God exists in perfect community within himself. And we're created. You're created. I'm created in that image and so we need, as part of our core identity, we need community. Healthy relationships. We were created to be in community with one another. And so there's this inexorable pull towards relationships in this created world. But unfortunately, Genesis 3 comes along. The fall, the brokenness, sin enters the world. And like everything, it messes up our relationships. So this morning, what we're doing this morning is we're taking a dive in and talking about relationships. What do friendships look like? What do our workplace relationships look like? What do our family relationships, holy, healthy, wise relationships, what do they look like? And maybe even more foundationally, we're saying, what does the book of Proverbs teach us about our relationships? Because we're 
Continuing in our series uh, here this morning in Proverbs, launched last week by Pastor Jordan, titled Forks and Fences. And so we'll be in the book of Proverbs a ton. You can turn there right now. I can tell you we're going to be skipping around a lot. So either just listen or get your fingers ready to turn some pages. Um, I'm reading out of the ESV translation as well. Uh, That can be helpful. Um, we're, we're in the book of Proverbs, and this series is titled Forks and Fences because it's a study in the applied wisdom of Proverbs. And I, I think this is why this is important. Let me, let me back up just a little bit. Why do we need wisdom? Because the Bible is a guiding book. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, we believe this with all of our heart, that the Bible is profitable for teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness. It's, it's profitable to teach us how to live. And so our tendency, we approach, we hear that, and we approach this book with our questions and our problems and the things that we're going through, and we, we say, say, God, your, your word is supposed to tell me how to live. How, how does this work? And, and that process would be really, really helpful if the majority of our questions that we were asking on a daily basis were like, should I worship this stone idol over here? If that's a question that you're struggling with, the Bible has direct answers to that. Uh, Hint, it's no, you shouldn't. Um, But in reality, our day-to-day questions are much different than what the Bible directly teaches. We ask questions like, should I take this job? Or should I watch this TV show? Should I spend more time with this person or less person? How much screen time is too much for me or for my family? These are the type of questions that we wrestle with on a regular basis, and the Bible doesn't directly answer these things. Instead, Proverbs says over and over again, and then it's echoed in Psalms and James and Ephesians and Colossians and by Jesus, and throughout the Bible it says, seek wisdom. Wisdom is God's character and goodness applied in any circumstance. Let me say that again because I think that's really helpful. Wisdom is God's character and goodness applied in any circumstance. And so as the Bible teaches us about who God is, as the Bible teaches us about God's character, as we study it and learn it and it seeps into us, we're able to apply it in any circumstances, whether it's directly talked about in Scripture or not. And the book of Proverbs shares with us wisdom and then helps us navigate the forks that we approach in life, those decision-making moments where we're like, I don't know if I should go left or right. Proverbs has wisdom for those forks, and it helps us create fences that keep us from falling off the edge. It creates boundaries and barriers and guides and guardrails to help us make wise decisions. And so we want to look this morning specifically at what Proverbs teaches us about relationships. What do we mean by relationships? We're going to talk about three different types of relationships this morning. We're going to touch on on each of them briefly. First, we're going to talk about our personal friendships, peer-to-peer relationships, our friends, the people we choose to hang out with when we have free time. This can also include people within our orbit uh, physically, like neighbors uh, in, in our neighborhood or people that we spend time with in, in free time, like uh, if we're in a volleyball league or people that we meet at the PTO meetings. These are our personal friendships. And secondly, there's our workplace relationships between coworkers and bosses and contractors. There's, there's different boundaries for navigating wise uh, coworker relationships. And finally, there's family relationships. What does Proverbs say about these relationships between siblings, about parents and kids? How can we help 
pursue wisdom in those areas. Proverbs talks about all three and what healthy relationships look like. So, so let's dive in this morning. As we get started, I want to start by acknowledging something really important about relationships, and it's this. By nature and default, relationships influence us. Relationships are influence. They change and affect how we think and act and what we do. Proverbs 13.20 is, is kind of the key verse this morning. This is a great proverb to memorize, to leave here and, and to commit to memory. It's on the back of your bulletin if you have it. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. We can say so many different things about relationships, but there's this drumbeat in Proverbs again and again and again that, that on a spectrum, people are either wise or they're foolish. They're living wisely or they're living foolishly. They're either consistently seeking wisdom, living it out, embodying it, valuing it, or they don't care. They don't plan. They don't understand. And this is so important because Proverbs makes the point that, that in our relationships, wisdom bleeds. Wisdom bleeds over. I'm thinking about watercolors right now as I say this. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm the farthest thing from artistic. And I should not really be allowed to touch watercolors. But I allow my three-year-old to play with watercolors. Um, and, and, and I have this, this constant image in my mind. You guys know watercolors, like those little sets with all the little colors in it. And you dip your brush in the water and then in the color. And she'll be, she'll be painting with her little set. And she'll be using pink and making pink marks on the table and the chair and her siblings. And sometimes on the paper as well. And, and, and then she'll go and she'll dip her brush. And she'll go into green and make green. There's a nice pool of green paint. And, and then she goes back to paint with green. But she decides, no, actually, I want pink. And then there's the brush filled with green paint heading towards the pink paint. You know what I'm talking about? And it dips in, and there's just this beautiful mingling, mixing, bleeding together of these colors that's really pretty and nice to look at until you realize you're ruining the pink. Stop! This is, this is, this is what happens in relationships necessarily. Relationships influence us, and wisdom or foolishness bleed together as we are in relationship with wise or foolish people. Influence is a necessary part of a healthy relationship, and the wisdom or the foolishness of your influences are going to bleed over into your life. And so whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, and the companion of fools suffers harm. Pause with me for just a second and consider this Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 20. Consider this in light of uh, one of the Psalms. Maybe you're familiar uh, with the Psalms and maybe uh, this proverb, Proverbs 13, 20, kind of sounded bells for you immediately because Psalm 1, 1 says similar things. The very first uh, verse in Psalm, uh, Psalm 1, 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There seems to be a parallel between Proverbs 13, 20 and Psalm 1, 1. They seem to be saying the same thing, but there's a significant difference, and it's profound, and I don't want us to miss it. Psalm 1-1 is saying that we're to avoid the direct influence of those who are willfully going against God's commands. Avoid those people. So, so Psalm 1-1 is saying don't walk in the counsel of the wicked when someone who wants nothing to do with who God is and how God wants the world to, to run, when someone's that standoffish to God, don't go to them for life advice. Don't, don't listen to what they're saying about how the world's supposed to fit together or how you're supposed to live. Be wary, suspicious, and cautious. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked or, or sit and study or process life in a place surrounded by people who don't love God. If we open ourselves up to the direct influence of those who want to hold God at arm's length, we're opening ourselves up to foolishness. But Proverbs 13.20 is making a much subtler claim. It's not saying that it's direct influence that's going to cause you to become wise or unwise. It's, it's saying that if you're unintentional about who you spend time with, if, if you're unintentional about who you surround yourself with, if, if you're unintentional about who you're, who, who you're walking with or just calling your companion, then that foolishness is going to almost imperceptibly bleed into your life. Let me say it like this. This is almost a summative statement for what Proverbs says about relationships. You are either intentionally pursuing healthy relationships or you are falling into unhealthy ones. In your workplace, in your home, in your friendships, you are either intentionally pursuing healthy relationships, or you are sliding, falling into unhealthy ones. Healthy relationships are ones that are defined by the regular exercise of wisdom, by God's character applied in any circumstance. And unhealthy relationships are defined by the regular exercise of foolishness. So practically, what does this, this look like? If relationships are influenced, what does that mean? This is what I love about Proverbs because it takes these kind of heady theoretical concepts and it distills them into practical wisdom. So let's take some time and talk about what does it mean to look, what does it look like to influence towards wisdom? Let's take our three areas of relationships, these family relationships, work, and personal relationships, and look at what Proverbs says about wisdom applied in each one. So what does it look like to influence towards wisdom? Really quickly, before we look at these characteristics, keep in mind that in any relationship there's two parties— involved, right? There's the other person, and then there's myself. Proverbs sketches healthy relationships got built on God, character, reflecting wisdom. Remember, there's myself, and then there's the other party. So as we evaluate the health of our relationships, we can ask two questions. As we look at different traits of healthy relationships, we can ask two questions. One, how am I embodying this trait of a healthy relationship? And then secondly, how are those I'm choosing to spend time with embodying this? These are the evaluation questions that we can be asking. So first, our peer relationships, our friendships. 
Proverbs 27, 9. I, I love this, uh, this verse. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. Maybe not for me, but for some other folks. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, but the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest or wise counsel. There's a beauty and a depth of personal friendships, and it comes about through wisdom, through wise counsel. So, so three characteristics from Proverbs that define wisdom-centered personal relationships. First, I would say faithfulness. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. True, healthy, wisdom-centered friendships reflects the faithfulness of God. In the midst of trouble and struggle and sorrow, it's not the number of friendships that we have, but it's the depth of them. Proverbs 17, 7 says, A friend loves at all time, and a brother is born for adversity. In this context, I, I think that a brother in, Psalm, in Proverbs 17, 7 is referring to this friend who sticks closer than a brother. Uh, a, a close friend. A close friend is born for adversity. It's born for these moments when we're struggling and going through life and there's, there's brokenness, but they're faithful. They're there. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If you know your, your friends, your personal relationships are faithful to you and they're faithful to God's character lived out in your life, then when they say something to you that hurts, when, when, they, when they push in an area of your life, when they say, listen, I don't, I don't think this is right. I don't think the way that you responded here was healthy. I, I think you need to reconsider what you're doing. When, when we can trust the faithfulness of our friends and they start pushing in our life, then that's life-giving because we have confidence in their faithfulness. Those wounds are healing. So first, peer friendships are faithful. Secondly, wisdom-saturated friendships are characterized by righteousness. Because God is a righteous God, wisdom seeks to reflect his righteousness in all circumstances. So Proverbs 12, 26, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Righteousness in personal relationships causes, it creates wise friendships. And finally, healthy peer Friendships are defined by self-control. In Proverbs, this most uh, comes up in the context of anger. How are you allowing anger to infiltrate your peer friendships? So Proverbs twenty-two twenty-four: make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. Or Proverbs sixteen twenty-nine: a man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in the way that is not good. A man who can't exercise self-control, a friend who can't exercise self-control is leading in the way of the wicked or in the way of foolishness. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds its back. Wisdom provides for self-control. It's one of the fruits of the spirit in Galatians 5. Wise friends are filled with self-control. Wise friends engender, they create, they bleed over into our lives. Self-control. So wise personal friendships in Proverbs are marked by faithfulness. They're marked by righteousness. They're marked by self-control. We can use this to evaluate the relationships that we're in. 
What about workplace relationships? These aren't necessarily friendships, but they can be mutual relationships like coworkers or contractors or consultants. It can be relationships of authority like a boss-employer relationship. What characteristics will mark these as wise and healthy? Three of them, again, from Proverbs. First, diligence. This is throughout Proverbs. We'll look at it a little bit more next week. But Proverbs 6, 6, go to the ant, O sluggard, someone who isn't diligent. Look to the ant and consider her ways and be wise. Diligence produces wisdom. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. There's this connection between diligent work and wisdom. As we work hard and well in our workplaces, it produces in us wisdom. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man skillful in his work? You see a man who's diligently working, he will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. There's, there's success produced through diligence. The point is that diligence in work produces that success. Wise workplace relationships do well to be characterized by diligence. Secondly, Proverbs points to workplace relationships, values of integrity and honesty. If you're going to be a good boss or coworker or employee, your relationships need to be flavored by integrity. So Proverbs 11.1, 1, a false balance, lying about what something weighs, is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. God's character bends towards honesty in the work environment. Proverbs 19.1, better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Integrity and wisdom are connected. And then finally, a third defining workplace attitude is contentment. It's a mark of wisdom that will enrich your relationships. Proverbs 23, 4, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning. Be wise enough to desist. Proverbs 15, 27, in the context of relationships, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. He who hates bribes will live. You see what this is saying? This proverb here is saying, it's subtle, but it's saying there's a principle. If you operate in the workplace, you operate in life in such a way that overvalues earnings and profits or success, then you're going to be hurting those around you. You'll hurt those close to you, even family and friends. There's wisdom in being content in what we have. It creates healthy, proper workplace relationships. So the workplace relationship in Proverbs is characterized by diligence and integrity and contentment, and then finally, family. Proverbs talks a lot about family relationships, two characteristics of a healthy, wise family. If you've read Proverbs, you've heard these verses a lot, but most obviously, Proverbs talks a lot about the need for a family to have order and structure, especially in parenting. This applies to discipline and authority. So Proverbs twenty nine fifteen: the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Or Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: folly, foolishness, is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Listen, I'm not here this morning to get into the weeds about spanking or not spanking when we talk about parenting. That, that's, a, that's a rabbit hole to go down in some other context, but it's worth talking about. Well, what I will say is that in Proverbs, when Proverbs was written, physical redirection was a very valid form of discipline. And the point of verses like 22.15 and 29.15 isn't spank a child, 
but rather it's that a child left to himself will not excel in wisdom. A child left without authority or structure or discipline in his or her life will grow up to be a child in a wisdom vacuum. God created the world with order. It's part of his character. And so he expects and invites our families' lives to be marked with order and authority. So we as parents do well to exert God-honoring authority over our children. And when we do, we exert wisdom. We impart wisdom to shrink back because it's hard or complicated, because discipline is difficult or doesn't make sense, or because we feel like we've run that race and it's not working, is to shrink away from giving to our children wisdom. And secondly, and this is so important, there are Proverbs. This has become one of my favorite Proverbs this week as I've been studying this book. Proverbs 15, 17. Better is a dinner with herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Better is a dinner of just warm water with some spices sprinkled in, a a dinner without the affluence, without the trappings of, of delicious food, but where love is. Better is a family that gathers around the table to eat just just leftovers, but where there is love and joy and kindness presence than than the richest of foods during a meal marked with hatred. Families that are living out this concept of wisdom are families that are marked by kindness. Parents and spouses and children need to exemplify kindness in their family relationships. Family relationships should be marked by discipline or structure and by kindness, these two truths. So there's a ton of stuff that we just went through there. A ton of different characteristics of of friendships, of family relationships, of workplace characteristics. And and really briefly, um, I I, want to address something. If if you're here this morning and you're listening, you're like, listen, Dave, you started off by by sharing that clip from Justin Early talking about the importance of friends and having a friend that I can share all my secrets with. And Dave, you're saying that our hearts are, are bound up and they're made for relationships and that's, that's God's image in us and, and I'm going to be drawn towards that. But, but, but I'll be honest, I'm here this morning and I just feel lonely. I feel like there, there aren't, I know there aren't quality relationships in my workplace. My family doesn't live here. They don't follow God. And I just feel alone. I have three things to say to you this morning if that's you. First, Most importantly, I tell you not to give up hope. If you're lonely and you're here, you're in the right place. If you're lonely, if you're desperate for life-changing relationship, you are in the right place. God's design for community in this world is the church. Hebrews 10.25, Acts 2.46, 1 Corinthians 12, the whole book of Ephesians is all over the Bible. God's design for community in this world is the local church. And if you're here and you're desperate for community, I beg you as a pastor at Woodlands, don't give up hope. Lean in, press in, but don't give up on the church. We're not perfect, far from it. Sometimes we struggle getting people connected. But I can tell you, week after week, there are conversations throughout this building. How do we help the disconnected people get connected in this church? How do we help people without relationships based on Jesus Christ find relationships based on Jesus Christ? We might not get it right the first time. We might not get it right the second time. But press in, lean in, and don't give up hope that you can find relationships here. 
If you're not in a relationship, we want to help. So, so join a life group or, or reach out to a serving team. Uh, come to a class. Drop the connection tear off from the back of your bulletin into one of the offering boxes in the back. As you leave, visit the Next Step iPads. Fill out the connection card on the app. Go to the information center. If none of those things seem to click, keep doing it. I beg you because we want connected people in this church. We want people with life-giving relationships. So first, don't give up hope. The second thing that I'd say, uh, if you are feeling disconnected, and we've said it already, but is that every relationship has two components. It has the other person, and it, it has myself. So the people that I want to pursue healthy relationships with will also want to pursue healthy relationships. And so if I'm looking for people to be in a relationship with who, who are marked by wisdom, I can be working to make sure that my life is marked by wisdom. I can be studying God's word to find out more about who he is. I can be going before him in prayer. I can be bending my life in such a way so that it's marked by wisdom. If you're just starting to seek out healthy relationships, one of the best places as you continue to lean into the rhythms of the church is to start by ensuring that you're pursuing wisdom in your own life as well. And then finally, I'd say this as a gentle reminder. First, press into the life of the church. Don't give up hope. Second, pursue wisdom. But third, acknowledge what we said at the beginning, this, this important truth, that if you're not intentionally pursuing healthy relationships, you will be sliding into unhealthy ones. The best way to guard your heart from sliding into the unhealthy relationships is by intentionally pursuing healthy ones. So press in and lean in. We need friends. We need relationships. We were designed for it. Workplace relationships, peer relationships, family relationships, this all ties together. Kind of an embarrassing story uh, because it shows that I'm not always the best pastor because I don't get things. Um, but for a while, as I was doing pastoral ministry, as I was prepping and talking about marriage and then doing some premarital counseling, I, I was confused. I was bothered by something that didn't quite seem to fit together. I knew that in Genesis 2, God created us for community because God's nature is community. But I always wondered, I said, if, if, if it's God's nature in us, why are we created for these dualistic relationships, like me and my wife. That's two people. God's three people. This doesn't make sense. I, I'm just a little bothered by it. If we have the mark of a triune God in us, shouldn't we, like, how does that work? And the answer is really obvious, and the answer I should have come up with uh, quicker than I did in my pastoral life is that we are created for three. It's me and my wife and God. It's God who wants to be present in every wise relationship. God wants to be with us in every God-honoring relationship. We are supposed to be triune in our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our work relationships. God needs to be present in all of these. And last week, Jordan so poignantly pointed to 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, where Paul says that that. On the cross, Jesus himself reveals the wisdom of God, which goes against the wisdom and the expectations of the world. Jesus, Paul says, is the very embodiment of wisdom. 
And so if Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom, and if if we're supposed to pursue wise relationships, then shouldn't Jesus embody these healthy characteristics of relationships? Well, he does, absolutely. Let's run through it in the New Testament really quickly. Is Jesus a faithful friend, a friend that sticks closer than a brother? Absolutely. Greater love is no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friend. When we were separated from God, Jesus died for us. He sticks closer than a brother through adversity. Is Jesus righteous? Absolutely. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Jesus is the wisdom and the righteousness of God. Did Jesus exert self-control or resistance to anger? 1 Peter 2.23, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. Integrity and honesty... 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Did Jesus exhibit authority? Absolutely. Matthew 28.18, all authority has been given to me on heaven and under the earth. Kindness. Acts 10.38, Peter describes Jesus' ministry as saying, this is what he did. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus is the ultimate friend. And and I love this then. Proverbs 13, 20, our our, our main verse, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. The companion of fools will suffer harm. I love this in the context of the people who saw Peter and John step up to preach for the very first time in Acts 4. Peter and John get down from preaching and the people say, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astounded, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. These two men had lived their life with the very embodiment of wisdom, and as a result, they had grown in that wisdom through their relationship with Jesus. And so, are you walking with Jesus? Are you living your life in relationship with him? Are you allowing every day to be marked by the reality of the gospel? That he loves you and he wants you and he pursues you, not because you're worthy of his love, but because it is who he is. He is the true friend. It's the only path to real wisdom, to real peace, and to real relationships. Let's pray. God, thank you for this mark that you have given us, this reality that you've placed in our lives, that you desire for us relationships. I pray that we would be pursuing wise, healthy relationships, that this would be a church marked by connection built around you. God, I pray that we would walk with you and that as we draw nearer to you, we would draw nearer to those who are also walking towards you. Give us life-changing friendships and workplace relationships and families, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.